If you would, take your Bibles, look in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter number 5. I wonder if we're having turkey and dressing for the meal. I hadn't, nobody's told me what we're eating. Anybody know? Spam and eggs. I'm going to be sick that night. If I eat that stuff, I will be sick. Isn't spam the stuff that'll keep in a tin can for like 50 years or something? I don't know if there's any. Like Twinkies, it just never goes bad. Remember that when you're trying to prep for the end of the world and things get bad, get you a few cans of Spam and some Twinkies, you'll be all right. First John chapter number 5. It doesn't hurt to smile a little bit in church. The Bible says, Mary heart doeth good like a medicine. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, so we ought to be happy about being able to give to the work of God, the cause of Christ. Uh, I've been in touch with uh, Pastor McBriar over in uh, Greenville, uh, the children's home that we support there. They had a, a bad event took place. I don't know yet what all happened. Somebody broke in, tried to take one of the uh, the children out of the home physically, and she wound up with a black eye and some other things I think went on. And so they're going to have to do some security upgrades, and uh, we're, we're going to help invest in that. I'm um, I looked. I read the letter one way, and he gave me a different figure yesterday. So I'm just waiting to hear back from him. And I know he's busy, uh, but we'll pursue that. Uh, but we're going to try to help them make sure that the children's home is safe and secure. Uh, we're investing money and have been every year, $100 a month for years and years and years. Then every year we do the the angel tree for them, and uh, so we're we're we have a significant investment in uh, the children's home. And we certainly want to make sure that it's safe. If that was my, uh, a member of my family that was there, I'd want them safe. So we want to do what we can. So if you want to give towards that, just simply on the envelopes where it says other, right, tabernacle or children's home, whatever you want to like that. And uh, we'll take up some money along the way. But we're going to probably vote some out of the general fund budget as well uh, to try to be a help in uh, taking care of that need. Uh, church work sometimes is is more than just preaching. And the, the, the Bible says that we're supposed to take care of widows and orphans. And so we want to, to fulfill that biblical admonition. 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5. We should finish this book up maybe in uh, two more Sundays. We'll have to see. Uh, but we've been going through 1 John since uh, July. And I've enjoyed the study. Hope that it's been a help to you. I'm going to do 1 John. I'll do 2 John, 3 John, and then Jude. And of course, we may have to uh, make some changes for holiday sermons. Uh, but that'll be the, the progress that we'll be looking at making over the, the next few weeks, couple of months. Chapter number 5, verse 1. Whosoever. I love that word. <laughs> I love it so much. We'll read it again. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. 
by this. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now next Sunday morning we'll deal with the, the Trinity. Uh, we are Trinitarians here. You say, well, I thought you were Baptist. Well, we're that too. Uh, but we believe in the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal in power and attributes. They're, they're all God. There's, it's not like God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They're all on the same plane. We don't uh, confound the substance nor divide the persons. Uh, there's some creedal statements that are made uh, through the early days of the church. But simply stated, it means this. We believe that God exists in three persons co-equal in every power and every attribute. And they have different offices that they fulfill. It wasn't the Holy Spirit that died on the cross for us. It wasn't the Father that died on the cross. It was the Son that paid our sin debt. So they have differing offices, but they're all of the same power. And so we'll deal with that, the Lord willing, uh, next Sunday as much as we can and try to give you some understanding of the, the triune nature of God's existence. Well, I read these first six verses, and verse six introduces the next section. If you were to try to outline the chapter, we'd be looking at victory. Verses one through five, we have victory. Verses six through eight, we see the Trinity. Then verses nine through 21, we have assurance of faith. So many Christians, I fear, live in the shadow of doubt. You know, the Bible talks about we're supposed to walk in the light, not in the darkness. But so many Christians, I fear, because they look at themselves, they see how weak they are spiritually, they, they know I'm, I'm trying to be faithful, but I stumble so many times, I'm so, I'm so up and so down, so off and on, I, you know, and, and so they have problems of assurance of salvation. Well, 1 John was written, I believe, to really settle that question for people, and we can skip ahead a little bit, look at verse 13 in chapter 5. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. God wants you to be sure. God wants you to be sure. And he's laid it out in this book that we're studying. We've seen a lot of things here about assurance of salvation, but chapter 5 is really going to have quite a bit about it. The book of 1 John has simple, but yet, important themes for us. Uh, flip back to chapter number 1. We'll run through these quickly. Chapter 1 and verse number 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye may also have what? Fellowship with us. So fellowship with God and with other believers is found here in chapter number 1. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So fellowship. And that's an important thing. You need to make friends of God's people. You need to work at it. Show yourself. If a man's going to have friends, he's going to have to show himself friendly. 
Don't expect to just sit and, and never say anything, never get involved with anything, and, and to have very many friends. Uh, we have to show ourselves friendly and outgoing. And for some of us, that's harder than others. Some folks are naturally quiet, uh, maybe a bit more introspective than others. Some are extroverts, and they just bubble over with everybody they meet. But all of us can show ourselves friendly. The Bible tells us that. So we have fellowship. Then we have forgiveness. Look in verse 9 of chapter 1. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, we need to remind you that word confess doesn't mean admit to. If uh, the police arrest you and they take you to an interrogation room, they're trying to get a confession out of you. They want you to admit to doing some wrongdoing so they can charge you and send you to the court system and if you're, you know, find out, adjudicate your guilt or not. But the word confess in the Bible means to say the same thing. So I'm to say the same thing about sin that God says. I'm to say the same thing about Jesus that God says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's made up of two Greek words. The first one's where we get our word homogenized. Get homogenized milk. And the second word is the word say or to speak. So I say the same thing about uh, sin and any other subject that God brings up. We have forgiveness. Chapter 2, verse number 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. There's forgiveness. In chapter 1, verse 5, this then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Chapter 2, verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. I promise you. Whatever the fad is now for clothing, just give it a few years. It'll change. It'll change. The world's passing away and the lust thereof, and he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So here's the idea, the theme of light and life. We're to live a life in the light. We're not supposed to be in the darkness. That's what God wants for us. Then there's love. Chapter 3 and verse number 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear, the Bible goes on to say in verse 2, uh, what, we, uh, what, what we shall be, but we know that when, uh, we, when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So we are going to have love. God is love. That's an important theme. Important theme. Then chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, I've already mentioned the triunity or the trinity of God, His, ex- His mode or existence. Those are the themes. Fellowship, forgiveness, light and life, love, and then the nature, the triune nature of our God. There are three great markers as we go through this book. These are just generalizations. Number one, right belief. What you believe matters. Now, in our culture, uh, we are taught that we're free to make any decision we want. We're free to believe anything we want. And to a, to a point, that's true. But if you don't believe the right doctrine, then you're not going to heaven. 
You can say, well, I've made a deal with the big man upstairs. He doesn't make special deals. All come the same way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you can't make your own deal with God. That's not going to happen. Well, then we, we have right belief. That's our doctrine. We have right love, and that's our morality. And how can we say we love someone when we don't help them when they have a need, like the, the rescue mission? Want any big skin off our nose to go buy these great big old cans of green beans? I'm, I'm going to be honest. I bought a big old can of baked beans to send to them. I love baked beans. I said, I don't know if they'll eat them or not, but if I was there, I would. So I sent them a big old can of baked beans and some green beans. I hate green beans. I'm so tired of them. Green beans ought to be a cuss word. They give you that when they're trying to get you to lose weight because there's nothing but water with little green stuff stuck on them and we could just go around saying, green bean you, green bean you. So they got some green beans out of me. I hope they like them better than I do. My wife will tell you, she'll cook them at home. And if, she, if she's not looking, I'll make a face. Sometimes I'll make a face when she cook, tells me. Right belief, that's our doctrine. Right love, morality. We ought to love our fellow man. Then right behavior. Ethical living. We live in a world that doesn't have much in the way of ethics. I used this illustration this morning in Sunday school. If you get called before Congress to testify, and they swear you in and they ask you questions, if you lie to them, that's a crime. And you can be incarcerated for that. But the very people who are sitting up there asking you the question can lie every time they open their mouth and nothing happens to them. They get out because they're performing their duties. I didn't know we elected them to lie. But evidently we did. That's unethical. They ought to live on the same laws we do. Amen? That's, that's called being ethical. And so as, as a Christian, we have ethics. And so our, our ethics require us to do things that maybe some folks wouldn't do. I read an account the other day where a lady was working at a bank. And somebody would sent in a, a cash deposit of about $3,000, and she was handling that and trying to do something else, you know, uh, there in the drive-thru. And she sent this fella his money that he had cashed a check for. But what she did was make a mistake, and she put the $3,000 in there and sent it to him. Well, it took her 10 or 15 minutes to figure out what had happened. Well, that guy's gone. She was really worried because I imagine she's going to pay that money back. But you know what happened? Just a little while a guy came in and walked inside the bank and said, there's been a mistake. You gave me too much money. I didn't ask for this. That's ethical. That's ethics. Some folks say, whoo, man, live windfall for me, their mistake, my fun. No, if you're an ethical person, you have to take that money back to the person that it belongs to ethical living. Those things are uh, taught in the Word of God. Now, here in, in chapter number 5, he talks about overcoming the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So the victory of faith. What we believe about Jesus is the standard by which everything else we believe is judged. You can be right about everything in the Bible, but if you are mistaken about Christ being the Savior, if you're mistaken about Him being the the Son of God, God in flesh, then you're, you're not saved. Salvation is in, is in Christ, and that's the only place it is. 
And so everything else that I believe in, in my life filters through that position that I've trusted Christ. Who, who He is is important. We, we use big fancy words, hypostatic union. Probably, I know if you've been here any length of time, you've heard me say that. But all that means is that, that we, he was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. Hypostatic union. You couldn't separate the two natures. They were joined together. And so Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross in my place and his physical body ceased to function and he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, which is the same thing you and I are going to have to do one of these days when we kiss this body goodbye and slip the bonds of, of this earth and, and uh, enter into eternity. So who he is is important. And everything the Bible says about him, I'm glad to report. Amen. I like that. Uh, he's the stone which the builders rejected. But he's, he's still the stone of my salvation. He's the, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He is the line of the tribe of Judah to protect and guard us, but we see Him as the Lamb slain for sinners, you see. On and on we could go about who He is. You ought to go through some time, and, and every time you, you read about the name of Christ, you ought to just have you a pencil and a pad there and just start writing them down. I think it's about 29 times in the book of Revelation He's called the Lamb, but He's called the Son of Man. He's called the Son of God. He's called Jesus Christ. He's called Christ Jesus. He's called the Messiah. He's called the Savior. He's called God our Savior. There's a lot of names for Jesus. And, I, and every one of them has some sweetness, some richness to it that you and I need. What we believe about Him. I know these things, do I, but when I, I say I believe them, it's not just that I'm putting them up here in my head saying, man, those are great facts to know. When somebody asks me Bible trivia, I'll have all these facts. That's not what we're talking about. Our belief is not a one-time past event. It's not I believed 49 years ago like I did when I got saved in October 1974. I did believe, but I'm still believing. It's not something that just happened 49 years ago. It's still happening now. I'm still believing. It's a continuous belief. Uh, I used to believe in Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and, you know, we don't need little kids in here, do we? The Easter Bunny, Santa Claus. You know, as young kids, we believe those things, but those things are gone. They've, they've slipped away. But my faith in Christ hadn't slipped away. If anything, it's stronger and I pray deeper and more well-founded. I trusted him then, I trust him now, I am trusting him. Adrian Rogers said, it's not just that it's a past event, it's going on right this very moment. The specifics of my faith, he's the Messiah, the Son of God. It's not, listen, it's not belief about a doctrine, nor an opinion, nor a formula, but belief concerning a person. I have put my faith and trust in Christ, not historical facts about him living and dying on the cross, but in the living Christ of God, that's where my faith resides, you see. And if you're going to heaven, your faith is in the same place. It's in the Son of the living God. The new birth is evidenced by three things. It's evidenced by our confession of Jesus as Messiah. 
It is evidenced by our loving the Father and His children. Read chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth Him that begat, loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So our love is an evidence of salvation. Then overcoming the world is an evidence of a believer. Uh, let me jump ahead in my notes just a little bit. I've got something I want to give you right now. We might come back to it. But the idea of uh, our, our faith conquering, it's, it's not something that uh, can be done away with. Our faith cannot be extinguished. And here's the idea. When it says, whosoever believeth overcometh the world, right there, whatsoever is born of God, verse 4, overcometh the world. The idea is a present tense constantly overcoming the world. To go down in defeat is the exception, not the rule. It's amazing how you get a bunch of preachers together, maybe even a bunch of just Christians together, and you start talking about folks, and before you know it, well, this one messed up here, this one messed up there, this one did this, this one did that. If you just stop and pause for just a minute, not that many preachers have gone way off the rails. Some have, I readily admit, but it's a small percentage. Don't paint every preacher with that brush. Not every deacon has gone off the rails. Some of uh, the best deacons I've ever been around in my life right here in this church. Good men. Love the Lord, want, want the work of God to go forward. And yet I've heard of deacons through the years that have gone off the rails, but it's a small percentage. And so when the, the, the text is read, the idea is not that we're going to go down in defeat. That's the exception. The rule is God's people overcome. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Look at where you are now compared to where you were when God saved you. How far have you come? We're going up the hill. You know, we're, we're the idea of going up the Mount, of Mount Zion. And we're not going down into hell. We're going up into heaven. God's people are overcomers. We don't overcome every time. But we overcome a lot. And every time we have a victory in our life, it helps us to have another victory. And on and on and on. Well, let's, let's get back to our text. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whatsoever is, is born of God, overcometh the world. We read that in the Scriptures. He who is overcomes is he that believes. This is the victory, even our faith. We have some specific areas of faith. I've already mentioned these. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 1 declares the incarnation of God. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's the incarnation. We, that's another term for uh, hypostatic union. Hypostatic union is the joining of the two natures, divine and human. And then the, uh, the other word that we use there, incarnation, is co coming into flesh, actually being born. Jesus was conceived in the womb of Virgin Mary simply by the power of God. She said, how can this thing be, seeing I know not a man? In other words, she was, had never had any kind of sexual relations at all. She conceived the Christ child just like creation was, was in, uh, brought about or created. When God said, in the beginning, let there be, 
And there was. That's the same thing that God did when he put in the womb of Mary a human body. Let there be. And there was. And at that moment of, of that holy conception, there was that hypostatic union that took place that showed out later on. There were people who denied that. We've, you know, we've gone through some of that on Wednesday nights in Colossians and some in here. Gnostics. The Gnostics are the people who have... It's good to believe in Jesus, but you've got to climb on up here where we are. We've got the super secret knowledge. And if you'll just come with us and do our little special rituals and ceremonies, then we'll give you the, the light that you don't have now. And listen, there's not an ounce of truth in that. God is not trying to hide anything. He wrote it in a book, and he put it out there, and he said, whosoever will, and whatsoever, right there in the scriptures. There is no super secret knowledge. The Bible talks about mysteries, but they're revealed to us through the Spirit of God. When you, when you become a believer in Christ, most of those mysteries are done away with. They're no longer a mystery. Now, I will say this, it's mysterious to me how that God can indwell me. I don't understand that. But I read it in the Bible, so I just accept it. I, I, I know that God forgave me my sin by imputing to me the righteousness of Christ. And He did that for you. If you trusted Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is imputed or reckoned unto us. How do you do that? I don't know. I just know that God can and God did. And I'm satisfied with that, you see. So it declares the incarnation, and though the Gnostics and the Corinthians and others, uh, the, the Docetists and just all those wild isms and schisms that they had back then, they denied these things, but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The substitutionary death of Christ is implied in His incarnation. Why would He even come down here? Why would Jesus leave heaven to come down here? In heaven, all around the throne was what? Angels going, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In heaven, all they had was praise and worship and honor and wonderful things. And he left the glories of heaven, came down to this sin-cursed earth for no other reason than to die in your place and in mine. The incarnation implies that. The substitutionary death of Christ in incarnate one for sinners, making a way of salvation in which God could bestow mercy on the basis of justice satisfied. Now we're guilty. No use in us saying we're not. That's right. We're absolutely guilty. We can't say, well, the devil made me do it. I have news for you. That's just a bumper sticker. It's not a theological truth. You made you do it. Now, you may be running with a bad crowd and they're influencing you, but bottom line is you make your own decisions about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. So you are responsible for those things. But God made a way that His justice could be satisfied, His wrath against sin, because sin tries to displace God from His right, uh, rightful throne. He made a way that we who were guilty of sin, attempting to overthrow heaven, could be saved and reconciled. Only the all-wise, almighty God could both conceive and execute what you and I know is the plan of salvation. 
Hold your place here and turn to Romans chapter 11 for just a moment. Romans chapter 11. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Only God could figure it out. How do you know that, preacher? Look at any other religion you want to look at. Look at Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintus, Taoists, Ekankar, Rosicrucians, Theosophists. I mean, you just pick any religion you want to pick. How'd they, how'd they do on that thing about salvation? Oh, if you be a good person and think good thoughts. That's theosophy for you, mind science, religion. You're not sick, you just think you're sick. And because you think you're sick, your body is, is ill. But if you'll just get your thoughts right, that's what mankind's come up with. Oh, we have some ritual where we go and some fella dresses up and he's got long flowing robes and a hat and all kinds of gold and everything around and, and claims to be the vicar of Christ. When someone says they are the vicar of Christ, this is what they're saying. I am the physical representation of God here on earth. Christ died a vicarious death. That means in the place of. And so if someone claims to be the vicar of Christ, they're claiming to be God's physical representative here on earth. Just one problem with that. I can't find it in the Bible. Men have concocted all kinds of religions, all kinds of things. And if you'll just do this, you'll be okay. If you'll do that, you'll be okay. No, you won't. You're not going to be all right. You're not going to make it to heaven by any effort that you might conjure up or any strength that you might exert. It's not going to happen. The only way to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. And to get to that point, you're going to have to recognize that you are a sinner in the eyes of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Say, so, well, that doesn't include me. Well, A-double-L pretty much includes you. If you're going to listen, if you're going to claim whosoever will, you have to claim the all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, too. If you love God, you have a family relationship with Him. Relationship. Fellowship can be broken. Got any friends that you ever had a, a row with? I don't, I'm trying to find the right word. Christian, trying to find a Christian word. You maybe had a friend that you got into a confrontation with or a dispute in some way and, and it broke that and, and you've ne it's never been healed. Years have gone by and it's never been fixed. Your relationship with that person has been destroyed. You cannot destroy your relationship with God. You see, if I don't earn salvation by something I do, it can't be taken away from me from some, for something else I do. I didn't earn it, God gave it. I can't unearn it because it's a gift. Now, does God have limits on Christians? Sure, read Acts chapter number 5. As a matter of fact, here in 1 John chapter number 5 and in the book of James chapter number 5, there's a sin unto death. 
Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost and God said, that's it, I'm taking you home. And they, they fell down dead and it frightened people in Jerusalem. It would scare me. If I was preaching and somebody fell out dead because something I said, it'd scare me too. It's not faith apprehending a past event in our moral history. It's faith exercised on a present object. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and set down the right hand of the majesty on high. The work's done. In the Old Testament, we got chairs up here on the platform, and we do that so we want to sit down, we can sit down. Got pews out here so you can sit down. In the temple, there were no chairs. Why? Because the work was never done. They were always doing something. They had a morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice. Then if somebody brought a sacrifice just during the day, said, I've had a problem in my life, I got... I got mad at my wife, yelled and screamed at her, and I want to bring this, this little lamb. I want to give this lamb because I sinned and I need forgiveness. And all on through different types of offerings it might be given. There's just one offering that will get you to heaven. Just one, and that's Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, what, endured the cross, despising the shame. And it's set down. Why? The work's done. Nothing else to do. On the cross, he cried out one Greek word, tetelestai. But what it means in English for us is, it is finished. I was witnessing to a fellow over in Poland a number of years ago. And when we got to that where it is finished, he got really excited. Started waving his arms around. Polish word is bigger. It's, it's more more emphatic, it's all this, and then he finally blurted it out. It, it is perfected. <laughs> That's a pretty good statement. It is finished. It is perfected. You can't add anything to it. Oh, listen, if we could be saved because of our works, we'd be insulting God. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. In the exercise of our faith, we love. Verse 2 said, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. We observe the commandments of God because we love Him. My wife has always uh, taken excellent care of me. I remember we were sitting down eating one time and Dad was there. And my tea glass started getting empty and Ouija said, I'll get up and get you some tea. And I said, okay. And Daddy looked at me and said, what's the matter with you, boy? I said, what do you mean, Dad? He said, you don't have to, she doesn't have to get up and get you her tea. You can get up and get your own tea. We just spoiled me. Amen. Because of the love we had, she wanted to serve. She wanted to minister. And she's done that all these years. He's 51 and a half years. She's tended to me. Quite often when I'll be through it, are, are you done? Yeah, I said, but I'll, I'll, I'll put my play with No, I'll do it. Now, she maybe won't to get it because she'll get it quicker than if I do it because I might sit there and wait a little while. 
but that, that relationship, that love causes her to serve. When you love God, it causes you to want to serve Him. Lord, what can I do? Do you remember the first question Paul the Apostle said? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he was blind. But he was ready to serve. By this we know. We have the right kind of love when we, our love flows out naturally. We observe commandments because we love God. Obedience puts us in a right relationship to our brother Christian. It results in, in our acting in a loving manner towards any Christian. He said here that we're to we're keep his commandments. The word keep means attend to carefully, take care of, guard. The thought here is that we are so concerned with the honor of God that we watch to make sure that we maintain our Christian testimony. You know, churches practice sometimes discipline. It's in the Bible. And sometimes Christians get so out of sorts, church members get so out of sorts that a church has to bring discipline. But that discipline's never to hurt. It's not to drive them away. It's to simply declare to them, what you're doing is so wrong, we can't go along with you. And we want you to get right with God. We want you to come back to the Lord. We want you to fellowship. So we're concerned about the Christian testimony. Every last one of us ought to be concerned. Am I living a life that testifies of Jesus? So, well, five years ago, ten years ago, I, I did this, I did that. I'm not asking you about that. If it's under the blood, it's under the blood. But today, now, we want to make sure that our testimony is this person's a Christian. I can tell by the way they talk. When, when you're at work and other guys are telling dirty jokes and you just turn around and leave, they'll wonder what's going on, but eventually they'll figure it out. We're to keep, maintain the Christian testimony. We're to love and keep continuous action ongoing. And it says in verse 2, by this we know, that's that word gnosko, we know by experience that we're God's child when we do what, when we love God and keep His commandments. John had a real driving theme, and love is, is probably the strongest theme that, in all of his writings. But if you'll go back and look in the Gospels, and we don't have time this morning to deal with all of these, but he was called one of the sons of thunder, remember? Lord, you want us to call down fire out of heaven on this crowd? Uh, we saw a fellow casting out demons, but he's not with us, so we told him to stop. That was John. John the Beloved. But what happens? Grace moved in and love moved in and it changed John. And now he's the apostle of love. And we call him what? John the Beloved. That's the nickname that he has. Oh, the amazing power that this gentle quality of love has. When a child is injured, they've scraped their knee or they've had a bee sting. And they're squalling and crying. They run to mama and they jump up in her lap and just lay their head over. <laughs> Having a hard time not just sobbing out. And mom starts talking to them. You want me to kiss your boo-boo? We laugh about all that, but you know what? Kids like that. They like that. 
They, they enjoy the focus of, of extra love being poured out. That's the kind of God we serve. And we see it in the life of John who wanted to call lightning down out of heaven. By the time we get to the end of the book of Revelation, we find out he's just telling everybody, love one another. Love one another. There's power in faith. We talk about it overcoming. There's power in faith and salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk, live, spend our life in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are to continue these things, the power of faith. It's a continuation. I've already hammered that pretty good. Conversion's not a stopping place, but a starting point. Understanding. Faith causes us to understand by faith. We understand that the worlds were formed. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 11 for just a minute. Hebrews 11. Verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report through faith, watch this, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I confess to you today that I believe that there was nothing and God created everything. If we could go far enough back in, in some linear time frame, go all the way back to the creation of the earth, then skip beyond that out to the creation of the angelic beings when there was no one but God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They had enjoyment within themselves. And by faith, I believe that that God who existed and would still exist if nothing else did, that that God spoke the world into existence. I don't believe in evolution. Evolution fosters racism. Well, we're a cut above those folks. They're different than us. They got a different skin tone. Their nose is different than ours or whatever it might be. My daughter-in-law's Chinese. I was going around the house one day picking up everything made in China, pick it up and look at the bottom and read it off to her and she'd giggle. Finally reached down, picked up her ankle, grabbed her foot, said, Made in China, right there on you. She thought that's funny. I'll tell you where she was made. God made her. We have the image of God. We're living beings. The power of faith is it gives salvation. The power of faith is it has continuation, sanctifying us. It has understanding. By faith we understand the worlds were framed and formed by the word of God. It has sanctification. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And it gives victory in our daily life. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life in the, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 Faith is very, very powerful. Now notice what he said in verse number 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Some folk have the idea that Christians have been baptized in lemon juice. They were all puckered up and can't have any fun. Listen, 
Christianity as a byproduct, not as the main goal, but as a byproduct, allows you to have recreation without guilt. Allows you to have a good time without guilt. His commandments are not grievous to me when my natural man, my old nature, is weakened and not allowed free reign in my life. Then serving God's not not too hard. If you are carnal, you don't want to serve God. You want to serve yourself. You want to satisfy yourself. You're not willing to sacrifice to serve Him. Secondly, when I keep the commandments of God by cheerful and willing obedience, and not of legal obligation, then His commands are not grievous. If you have to write them down and give me a list of do's and don'ts, nobody likes that. We were talking about going to school, and I was talking to somebody about it, and he was talking about these, some new ideas of having an education. We were on the airplane flying back from Virginia, really from New York City. They took me from Virginia to New York City to get me to Memphis. Well, we were talking about education and all that kind of stuff. And I said, when I was in school, it was like being in jail. You were just there and you had to work. You didn't have any options. You had to do the work. If you didn't, they, they did things to you. Keep you longer. Called detention. Then they, then they do stuff like put you in summer school. They had some other things they did to you as well. I got introduced to a, the Board of Education. The one that they apply to the seed of knowledge. <laughs> but it, when I'm in right fellowship with God, it's just cheerful and willing. I don't do it because of a legal do or don't do. When my conduct and my conscience agree, His commandments are not grievous. When I comprehend the truth... Of there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you ever do get assurance of your salvation, you ever do get it anchored down, it'll give you freedom and liberty in your life. When love becomes a principle of my actions, it expunges from my soul all the soreness of obedience. Oh, serving God is a joy. Jesus is the joy of living. He's and we sing that for our teenagers. What a great song that was in, during the teen conference. Grievous. The word grievous means heavy. The old Geneva Bible, which was the direct forerunner of our King James, it's the Geneva of 1599. Is that right, Brother Steve? I think that's right. They used the word burdenous. <laughs> Never heard of that word before. But it's a Greek word that speaks of that which is severe, stern, violent, cruel, or unsparing. God's commandments are not that way. When you have children in the house, how many of y'all bought them little plastic things to stick in the electrical plugs? About everybody did. Hey, I was in the 10th grade in, in high school, and a guy sitting next to me chewing, chewing gum. Remember they used to have them aluminum foil wrappers? He got one... Been into you and looked over at the receptacle and stuck it in. Half the building went dark. <laughs> a tenth grader, you'd think he'd know better. But kids, little children don't know why, so we protect them. We guard them. We put things in their way to keep them from doing that. If you got a, a coffee table with square corners on it, what happens when you have babies? 
got to go somewhere else. If, if it'll fit in the attic, you put it there. If not, you put it in the garage. Why? You don't want the baby falling and hitting their head on it. We do all those things. Why? Because we want to make sure the child is safe and that their way is not grievous. We protect them and guard them. Love for God makes keeping His commandments a delight. Not a burden. Not a burden. Well, time's gone. I'm not going to be able to finish what I wanted to this morning, but just look with me at verse number 5 for just a moment. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Our experience may be that we're struggling along. Our experience may be that we're not as in sync with God as we want to be. But the reality is, if you have trusted Jesus, you've overcome the world. One of these days, when King Jesus comes back, and that could be today, wouldn't that be wonderful? One of these days when the Lord comes back, you'll find out what God was doing through and in you at the time. There'll be things you look back at and say, I never realized God got me through that. All of us are going to experience that. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want to ask a couple of simple questions. How many of us could say, Preacher, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, I'm saved on my way to heaven. Would you slip your hand up and hold it just a moment? On my way to heaven. God bless you. You can put them down. I'm not trying to embarrass you. not going to. But if you could not raise your hand, I didn't ask you if you didn't. I just asked if you could not raise your hand because you know you're not saved. Would you trust the Lord today? You can get saved this very moment where you're sitting. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The ladies will be playing and we'll be singing. You could step forward. We'd be glad to get somebody to take the Bible and show you how to go to heaven from Atoka, Tennessee. Father, speak to hearts, I pray. Pray that my thoughts haven't been too scattered, but they've been connected enough to encourage your people. Thank you, Father, that your commandments are not grievous. What a joy it is to know you and to serve you. Give us grace to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.